Hey friends, I'm Jordan. And I'm Shelby. And you're you're listening listening to to the Cultivate Women's Podcast. We are pastor's wives at Passion Creek Church, and we exist to encourage and empower women to cultivate a life that is rooted in Christ. We invite you to join us as we walk through what that looks like in the context of friendship, leadership, relationships, and hardships. Welcome back to the Cultivate Women's Podcast. We are so excited. We have a very special episode for you today. We had the privilege of interviewing Michelle Van Loon, who is the author of five books, including Becoming Sage, Cultivating Meaning, Purpose, and Spirituality in Midlife. Michelle is a regular contributor to Christianity Today's women's blog and In Touch Magazine. We were so excited to be able to interview her on her new book coming out, and it's called Becoming Sage. The book actually comes out on April 7th, um, but we were able to get a copy and read it beforehand, and uh, we loved it. It was such a good book, and so we're super excited to speak to her um, because her book, Becoming Sage, is is all about... um, the spiritual practices at midlife, um, something that a topic that we're both really passionate about. Yeah. And so we're just really excited and um, that we were able to interview her. And we really hope you guys enjoy this episode and you can purchase her book and we'll tell you all the ways that you can do that at the end of the episode. We loved it. Yeah. And it's so funny, just like the, the way it all worked out, because when we got the email from Catherine and she was telling us about you and about your book and just what your book is about, uh, it was just so crazy to us because my husband and her husband are the pastors, uh, the lead pastor and the associate pastor at our church. And this is like, this is the language that we use. Like, this is what we talk about. Like we are all about the spiritual practices and formations and the first half of life and the second half of life. And just, um, I mean, even just a couple months ago, my husband was talking about how, uh, like exactly what you're saying, like people in the second half of life are so often neglected and it's all about like, how do we get all the younger generation in? And it's like, you know, our older generation is just as important, um, for various reasons. And so when we got that email, we were just like, absolutely. (laughs) Like we would love to talk to her. (laughs) It is very weird to have a book releasing in the middle of a life-changing, world-shaking event like this. Yeah. Um, this this book. I mean, I I had my moments just because I'm a pretty honest per- person, or and probably pretty isn't even the right adjective. I just I don't have much um, capacity for fronting a good shiny Christian front, and. <laughs> um, like not, no one needs that kind of nonsense anyway. But um, I, I wrote to the publisher. I'm like, I don't even know. <laughs> How am I supposed to do this right now? People's minds are, you know, I just was so overwhelmed. I mean, I was personally overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And people are overwhelmed. And they're like, but you're actually talking about things like transition and change and grief and loss. That kind of makes sense. I was like, oh, right. right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. Thank you for reading my book. So anyway, so th- th- tell me how I can serve your listeners and you guys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we were just going to ask you a couple questions, however many questions we can get through um, in the time that we have. And we would love to just uh, for you to share your heart just about what you know about your book and about you and why you're passionate about this and so um my first question would be you've been writing for more than a decade about these things about spiritual formations in midlife and beyond um what is it that makes you so passionate about this 
uh, when I kind of hit my early 40s, a whole series of dominoes kind of fell boom, 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 very quickly. Um, we went through a major church implosion transition. My husband and I were both in leadership. My mom died. I had a prodigal child. Um, we moved. So, and my husband's job situation was up in the air. So it kind of ticked off almost every box. Um, oh, I also had kids leaving the, the nest. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so all of those things compressed. I was like, this is like a recipe for a midlife crisis. And I wasn't even sure that that was spiritually a thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I knew it was out there in popular culture, but I never heard anyone in the church talk about what happens to us in the second half. My kind of the default setting on discipleship that I was brought up with as a Jesus freak baby boomer girl was, <laughs> here are the spiritual things you need to know in order to kind of have a Christian life. So be involved in church and read your Bible and serve and pray and worship, you know, mm -hmm. and so I had those basic categories and then because no one really ever talked about what happens next, the default setting on that was, and then just do this for the rest of your life right. until you die, and hopefully yeah. you'll get better at it, and the end. And that was, that carried me through the first half of my life, building my life and, you know, raising kids and being involved in church and community and, and working and writing, all the things that I was very busy doing. But as often happens, um, a crisis and loss kind of deconstructs some of that. Um, right now we're in a very dramatic cultural moment and it's happening not just developmentally as we're getting, you know, into our forties and fifties and beyond. Um, a lot of us are experiencing big changes because we are now living in a, a pandemic. Um, but particularly for uh, being able to talk about loss and change and all of that, I didn't find anyone at church and I was connected with a lot of different churches besides my own because of uh, ministry that I served mm -hmm. at that time. People just weren't talking about it. And so I started talking about it. I started reading about it, um, talking to friends, talking to people who were older than me um, to find out, like, is this normal? Am I crazy? The answer was Yes, normal. No, not crazy. At least <laughs> um, possibly a little crazy, but um, that was how it started. And um, I was already writing and um, being published in a lot of places. And so I kind of turned my focus to this because I felt like we all need to be talking about this more. Mm -hmm. We need to be talking about this better. And to understand that we're moving, all of us are moving every day, we're getting older. And so to be able to understand what, what 
growth and change and formation looks like over the span of life is it, it's a great gift we can give each other to demystify some of that the shock and change um, one one more quick thought a lot of times a lot of people in my age group and people that are just beneath me the um, Gen Xers as they hit this these crisis points often deconstruct so much that they kind of lose all faith. And I that also grieved me. There's a way to lose some of the training wheels of faith without losing everything. So all right. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I um there's I think that you you paint this like illustration in your book about how um like we kind of approach like life and adulthood as like getting onto a highway and we just think it's like a straight shot. And I've loved that like illustration because I didn't realize that that's kind of how I did think about life. Like you don't, you don't realize that there isn't really a lot of resources and people don't really talk about the second half of life and what that looks like in terms of you changing and growing. You just kind of think you hit adulthood and then you just like, but it's not something that anyone taught me. It's just something that I like, I guess I realized that I have learned, like it's a learned thought. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought that was so good. And I do love how like, it is just about like how your life changes and how you're transitioning through um, that second half. Um, yeah, I just thought it was really like interesting because I never had thought about it until I read that part of your book. And I was like, wow, that is how I think. And I didn't even realize right. it. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody talks about it, but you guys as, as leaders of a, of a younger church have a great opportunity to be able to be talking to your age peers, as well as to older people that are part mm -hmm. of your world and your congregation, but to be able to say, yes, things change. Certainly the, the basic spiritual disciplines, they don't change. Right, we're, right. We're called to prayer and we're called to study and we're called to service and all of those wonderful gifts that kind of give structure to our lives. But the questions and the problems change as we mm. get older. If, if you have, say, an older parent right now who's in a nursing home and you're trying to manage care for that person, and maybe you've got some kids at home and you're caught in between um, the caregiving responsibilities, which are a big part of a lot of our lives in different seasons of life, kind of like they call for different things from us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and often um, that's kind of invisible to a lot of our friends at church, you know, like maybe you're not there and you can't be involved in you know, women's Bible study because you're taking your your aging mom to the doctor or you've got mm -hmm. a special needs child that requires a lot of extra time and attention and care and appointments. Yeah. Um, so what does that does that life not count? It does before God. So how do we how do we understand the purposes of God and and what he's forming out of us in in all of those crises and changes. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. Um, so your book's called Becoming Sage. Can you kind of explain a little bit of what that means and what that means to you? I know you talk about it in the book a little bit, but just for our listeners. Well, I am not um, 
the the queen that's sitting on the throne dispensing <laughs> all wisdom and all knowledge. Like I got it figured out. I do not have it figured out. But if I thought I had it figured out, it none of that really applies in this in in a pandemic anyway. We're all <laughs> learning together. And maybe that's what it is, is that um, somebody who's becoming sage is somebody who is applying themselves to live a wise life, to learn, um, and then to live, live intentionally um, and with focus that um, you're growing. It's not a destination. We sometimes talk about discipleship as if it's something we can master. Mm-hmm. We we cannot master. We are always learners. We're always apprentices, as the late Dallas Willard often referred to discipleship in those terms. Mm-hmm. And so um, to be sage means that you are recognizing the pruning process, the growth process, that all of these things are a part of how God continues to develop us through the entirety of our lives. And it all matters. I love that. I feel like we, um, we don't use that word often yeah. that say that word sage is not used often. So I think, um, I love the way that you describe that and put that, I think that would be super helpful. Thank you. Um, so you describe in the book about how there's a decrease in the church involvement for older adults and you call it the quiet exodus. Um, so what are some contributing factors to this? Like, why is this a thing that's happening? Well, it's going to be interesting to see how things shake out. Almost all of us are now attending churches online, services online. So some of this, are we going to go back to the way that things always were? I, you know, it's too soon to tell, but typically um, the kind of churches, especially churches that are are launched by younger pastors, tend to focus on family life and building families. And um, and I think even people from my boomer generation and um, Generation X behind me, um, you know, we, we wanted things that we wanted. You know, we wanted the music that we liked and programming that was good for our families. And that's great. But then as we age out of it, if it's, if what we're doing is just about ministering to a particular demographic, everyone wants young families in a church. It's exciting. It looks like growth. It's something Mm -hmm. that can really shape and form um, a family's life together um, to be involved in a church. But then at some point, especially if the focus is that, people tend to start feeling like they're aging out of their their congregational life. And um, I can say anecdotally, I know a lot of people that have either completely downshifted their involvement or they just don't go. You know, they might continue to read some good Christian books or listen to some great podcasts. It's great that we have all these wonderful choices, Mm -hmm. but they're not part of a a community where they're rubbing against lots of different people in real life. Yeah. At some point we're all going to be back together in real life. Um, And so what does that look like? Um, uh, 
being able to also affirm that people's lives do change as they get older and they may not be able to maintain the same sort of in real life involvement. Um, what does what does that mean for community life? Older churches, you know, that have been around for a couple of generations, sometimes have like people that'll go visit or, you know, uh, bring communion or, you know, some of that stuff mm -hmm. is built in to their lives together because not everybody, you know, if somebody's caring for an aging relative, for example, they're not going to be able to show up at, you know, all the events. Right. But they still matter and they're still a part of your body. And so that's part of it. Um, I did a survey a few years ago on my blog and it ended up getting shared and shared and shared. Um, and I ended up, I was hoping for 50 responses. I dangled a Starbucks gift card out there to see if I could get it. <laughs> it was like, please, you know, just... I, I didn't have that big of a readership. I wasn't really expecting more than 50. I got over 500 responses. Wow. To, I, I asked people over 40 what their relationship was like with their local church and um, whether they'd gotten more or less or kept the same level of involvement as they had a decade earlier, just to pick some sort of benchmark. And then I asked them why. And that was... I'm not an expert or a statistician. Or I don't even know if I asked the question right. It, you know, <laughs> but I got answers and it was kind of amazing. And um, people, because it was anonymous, I got paragraphs from people about yeah. um, feeling invisible at church, their gifts not being welcomed, burned mm -hmm. out on church conflict, um, you know, just feeling like they've been doing the same thing over and over again, you know, to kind of go back to that long stretch of empty highway that we just think that discipleship means you just keep going. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they were just tired. About half of the respondents um, reported that they were less involved and they were sad about it and they just didn't know how to re-engage. And that, that made me sad. Um, but I understood the struggle. I've been there myself. And I, I think it can be different for all of us. Yeah, for Makes sure. Um, so in your opinion, what do you think that we can do as like a church community, like a church community and local churches, how can we better support and, um, and bless the, the mm. people in our congregation that are at midlife and older? Well, I, I think conversation and not just one is a part of it, both with your leaders and then with the people that you are trying to minister to. If you're a young church and you only have a couple of older people, um, you know, you may have, um, mentors or other people that are nearby that can speak into your culture, um, continuing to seek out educational kinds of opportunities to be able to hear from nursing home uh, directors or um, to find creative ways to, to minister, to, to partner with maybe an older congregation in town that has some experience there's a lot of it just takes some creative thinking it's 
what it doesn't take is a program. There is no out of the box. And I really tried to be careful in my book not to say like, this will fix it and here's your five steps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's, it's not, um, it's a change of culture and it's a change of heart. Um, A couple of weeks ago, circling, I don't know when you guys are going to be airing this, but um, there was some language about, um, you know, maybe older people should just kind of sacrifice themselves for the sake of the economy. And it was a very, um, there was some glibness um, to the way that the words were spoken and received. And um, I think that any, any congregation that's trying to figure out how to be um, pro-life and countercultural in this moment um, needs to be able to embrace all of life and fight for all of life and um, continue to try to think through um, using questions and lots of good listening um, how how to embrace every member of their community yeah I think that's great and I I know the article you were referencing Um, it shocked me I couldn't believe that that was um, that that was something someone actually suggested. Uh, it, it just shows that, like my husband says it all the time, it just shows that we have such a smaller view of people in the older generation, and that's so wrong. Um, they have so much they can teach us, and I think we miss out on a huge role of like mentorship, of like um, going to them and saying like, hey, like, especially me as a young mom, like finding a mom who has teenagers or even a mom who's an empty nester and her kids are in college or have kids of their own and be like, this is a season I'm in. I know you've been through this. Like, give me hope, like walk me through this. Um, and I think we, we forget about that. We think that we sh- we can only surround ourselves with people who are the same yeah. age and going through the same thing as us. And we miss out on something, uh, just a really cool opportunity when we neglect the older generation of our churches. One of the great gifts that happened in the middle of the, my early 40s crises was that um, I did have a prodigal child and I was so full of despair. And um, I was alone in the house one Saturday morning and I just, I had ugly snot, crying, all mm. alone, you know, a moment of despair with God. It wasn't a moment. It was a whole bunch of despair, but it all came out. And in the middle of that, an older friend of mine called and this woman was, um, I think she'd been married three or four times. She was very rough around the edges. She was, she was not, um, what anybody would want to put out there as the example of, (laughs) but she was my pal. And she called, she, she was like, you sound terrible. I'm, uh," you know, and I was, I was weeping and wiping snot off my face as I was trying to form sentences. And she, she kind of talked me off the ledge. She's like, it's, you're not alone. This is hard. I've been through it with my kids. And um, I see what you're going through. She couldn't fix it. But she was a safe person to be completely honest with. And I realized a lot 
in that, a lot of the language that we use to talk about mentoring has to do with, um, you know, like there's one person that's a really strong character and the other person's more the receiver, the leader yeah. or the follower. And, mm-hmm. and that's true in business circles. But I've found from, from that example and from the times when I've been called on to mentor younger women, we just need intergenerational friendships that are yeah. safe, honest, not perfect. My, my friend, my very imperfect friend was exactly the kind of mentor I needed because I didn't have to um, try to buff up my, my image or make things sound more spiritual than they did. I was, it was hard. She got it. And she had lived through a whole bunch of mess and seen God redeem. Um, And she was still waiting for some prayers to be answered. And I, I'm grateful for that example. Yeah, that's awesome. While we're talking about that kind of, can you tell us how the biblical call towards mentorship enriches midlife? Well, I think if you've ever taught anybody anything, it's a way of um, helping you understand what you really know about something. Um, I used to, I I worked for a a few years in a, in a seminary bookstore. Remember bookstores back in the day? (laughs) (laughs) And um, I remember saying to these seminarians who came in with, Oh, amazing giant vocabulary and brilliant, pristine theology. I would listen to them debate as seminarians are wont to do. And I would say, now, pretend you have to explain this to a five-year-old. Tell me how you would say it to a five-year-old, because if you can transmit it to somebody who's not like you, then you own it. And that's kind of what mentoring does for us. It helps us figure out what God's really done in our lives and um, the stuff that we've gotten wrong as well, that all of that can be redeemed, even the mistakes and the failures. I love that. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, so as a woman in um, the second half of your life, what does your, um, like your personal quest to find meaning in your life look like? For you right now? Well, my goal, the goal in writing the book was to be able to pass on some of these thoughts and kind of provoke people to um, consider what discipleship looks like over a lifespan. There, there's not uh, an age limit on that call to discipleship, we continue to learn to follow Jesus every step of the way. So for me, that's, that's a part of what I'm doing now. And I'm also recognizing that my life is changing yet again, as almost everybody's is, and to be able to be sensitive to um, both the grief of um, the losses that are happening and going to happen and um, to maintain hope in God that matches the the grief. You know, they kind of take turns going back and forth, to be honest, in my life. So 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, so why would you say that it's essential for Christians in their midlife to really focus on like embracing and maturing their emotional health as well as their like spiritual health? Well, there is nothing worse than somebody who is stuck somewhere. Um, just because you're older doesn't mean you're wiser and doesn't mean you've actually matured past, you know, uh, we've all heard or, or know people that might be older, but are actually very foolish, um, you know, and they've maybe been discipled by what they're watching on the news or mm -hmm. what their, or their fears or what they wish that life was like 40 years ago. And mm -hmm. all of those things um, kind of, kind of leave us landlocked and trapped and we don't grow. And um, God is calling us forward, even if it feels dark and confusing. Yeah. And I think that we, we think, you know, like the same analogy of like, we just think it's just gonna, it's something we happen naturally. Like it just, we go along um, and that it doesn't take, I think both in the first half of life as well as the second half of life, like it takes intentionality. Yeah. Like we don't just like, things don't just happen to us and then therefore we grow. Like right. we have to be intentional about implementing these practices and growing in our relationship with God as well as the people in our church communities. In, in the first half, there's, you're driven by ambition and, you know, the desire to create relationships and create community and create family and figure out what you're supposed to be when you grow up and then figure it out probably a couple more times <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in many cases. But, um, and that's not bad. You can't get to the second half until right. you do those things. Right. It's being able to recognize when you get to the place where some of those things get dismantled, even though you don't want them to, yeah. um, that you can recognize God is at work in the pruning just as he was in the growing. Yeah, that's good. I love that. So um, where can our listeners find more resources on um, cultivating meaning and purpose and spirituality in midlife? Where are some places they can look for that? Well, of course, I <laughs> would love it if they would um, buy my book. Um, they don't have to. Um, I also <laughs> have a book, but, you know, it would be cool if, the, if some did and wanted to. I would love to hear from them about how God is using this in their, their own church communities, their own communities of friends, um, because there's a lot of good stuff to talk about. I've got a lot of discussion questions. I'm just, I'm a person who's full of questions. So um, <laughs> there's questions in the book, lots of them um, that people can use to kind of spark conversation. Um, I also have a website that I co-founded with um, an editor friend of mine called theperennialgen.com. And that site features writing from many, many different um, women and a few men occasionally on all kinds of themes related to midlife and beyond. We've got, we feature a lot of different 
voices and um, points of view that are, you know, they're Christians, but they're not all um, necessarily in perfect lockstep with each other. And um, because I like the questions. And um, so being able to put those voices out there um, has been a, a particular gift for me. The perennialgen.com is the website. And um, really, if you, your readers, kind of just keep your eye peeled as you're reading through scripture, particularly the Psalms and Proverbs, but the book of Ecclesiastes is a master class in this as well. There's a lot in scripture that just in your tip, in your everyday reading that you can see that um, God has a different kind of set of values for our lives as we get older than our culture does. And so being able to pay attention to that then calls us to some kind of response or obedience. Yeah, I love that. So we will definitely include all of that in the show notes, everything that she listed, your website, um, and then uh, where they can go to get your book. Is that just really where anywhere books are sold or? Mm-hmm. Anywhere books are sold. Moody Publishers publishes it. And um, it's, it's going to be available anywhere and everywhere and on Kindle in case you don't want to get a delivery right now. And I believe an audiobook version oh, awesome. out, which is kind of super fun. Um, yeah. It's, it's even more fun that I'm not reading it because <laughs> <laughs> my Chicago accent sounds like, and it's uh, God bless you all for listening. So <laughs> that's so awesome yeah I was actually talking with my mother-in-law um she's a pastor's wife my husband's uh dad is a pastor here in our city as well and she, I was telling her about your book um and she was like where is it where can I buy it I want to get it now and we're like well it's not out yet but um so I know you have one reader there and she's very excited and oh, I good. think that we just absolutely loved your book and yeah. everything you talked about I think it's it is so needed, especially right now. And I just love um, your heart behind it. And I think that it's really going to bless a lot of people. Oh, thanks, you guys. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs>